Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. He's Kevin Quigley. I'm Jared Prugar. We're back. We took a little bit of time off. We're trying to regroup ourselves after the holidays, or before the holidays, and before the bowl game. Uh, so we're back, and we're better than ever, I want to say. And that's usually how the saying goes. Um, life comes at you fast, right, Kevin? Um, I'm in graduate school for my master's in special ed. That That was ramping up on top of all kinds of work stuff and this stuff. So trying to find time between three people, let alone two people, to record this podcast became very tough. So we are bringing this to you a little later than usual. And after, I think, a week off, if I'm not mistaken, I have no idea. I'm just, I, I'm barely sure that I, it is actually um, Friday. Yep, it is Friday. Um right before christmas and uh yeah missed a week but we're happy to be back and uh bringing you content better than ever and that's uh, right we have a lot to talk about kevin big news Uh, broke yes some big news uh manny diaz went to duke uh we talked about that at length before but his replacement was hired this week and it's a familiar face within the penn state community um tom allen uh, the former head coach at indiana uh is now the, the defensive coordinator uh, from the Nittany Lions, we had signing day. We'll, we'll talk about signing day a little bit later in the podcast. But I like this hire. I like Tom Allen at, at Indiana. Um, he made them competitive, though I don't know how much of that was him, how much of that was Michael Penix, um, because Penix obviously has done great things at Washington. Um, and he did confirm that Penix was in, not that he's ever going to say that he wasn't. But he does seem like he's a guy that is not interested – in pursuing another head coaching game. He is excited to get back to coaching. And I think that is ultimately the biggest thing here moving forward. And you said earlier, back and better than ever. Well, Tom Allen's back into coaching after getting fired from Indiana earlier this season and probably has his best job ever. Indiana head coaches. I know you hated me saying that Duke head coaching job wasn't a promotion from uh, Penn State defensive coordinator. Uh, but Penn State defensive coordinator is most definitely a promotion from being the head coach at Indiana, which is another basketball school. And Indiana is that, you know, bottom third Big Ten program. And now he's going to be the head coach and he's going to inherit the number one defense or number three defense, whatever it was this year in the country. And he gets to go back to being just a defensive coordinator. He doesn't have to go out and worry about who's going to be the offensive coordinator, what's the game plan, and doing all the other duties that setting a recruiting plan, all of these things that the head coach has to do, he doesn't have to do that anymore. He's 53 years old. He gets to go back to his roots as a defensive coordinator, and he's going to coach the best defense that he's ever had. So I'm sure he's very happy um, from that aspect of his life got simpler, and I'm sure he probably got a little bit of a pay raise or pretty much neutral pay uh, to come over to be Penn State's defensive coordinator. Right, and I think that's the other thing, too. You know, he, he gets to be a defensive coordinator again, and there's, I think, incredible value in that because now he doesn't have to worry about boosters. He doesn't have to worry about the little things, the other stuff that James Franklin has to deal with. He can coach. He can focus on his defensive players, not the entire roster, um, which is a daunting task, but he gets to handle his staff, and I think that's a great that's a great situation to be in for him. Um, it, much like Manny Diaz, it's a redemption tour. So obviously things worked out with, with Diaz. They run similar styles. Uh, it's going to be about a 4-2-5. I, 
I like the way that he's going to do things. And it's going to look, I think, a, a really similar to what they've done so far under Diaz. But the biggest thing is he's not going to be a guy that I – or at least this right now and the impression that he's giving that he's going to be looking for a better job in three or four years. Yeah, and either a 4-2-5 or a 3-3-5. Penn State has a lot of athletic linebackers that they can put in at more of an edge role. Kind of how Micah Parsons got a little bit misused at Penn State by forcing him to play outside linebacker instead of edge. So you can kind of get that hybrid. And then Penn State's known for having some thumping safeties, some safeties corners that aren't afraid to blitz, aren't afraid to stack the box and put pressure on the run game and be serviceable in the pass game. So he likes to run a lot of pressure. Manny Diaz obviously made a living running a lot of pressure at Penn State. And that's kind of just been Penn State's MO is rush the passer and make it don't give quarterback the time to beat and don't give the wide receivers the time to beat your cornerbacks and don't give your quarterback all day long to throw and get comfortable. And he's inheriting a defense that's he's never had before. And that is very much capable of doing that. They saw it. We saw it all year long, three, four, five sacks a game every week. It seemed like even against Michigan and Ohio state, when Michigan wasn't just running the ball down their throats, that JJ McCarthy wasn't necessarily comfortable. So We'll see how it goes, and I, I am excited for him to be there, and he's got a lot of experience on the defensive coaching staff, um, especially with Anthony Poindexter's coach in the back end. Tom Allen's going to be focusing on the linebackers, and that linebacker room has to be among the best in the country. Yeah, and it, and it should. You know, I look forward to seeing Abdul Carter, uh, Tony Rojas. Um, I think those are your two big guys for next year. Um, obviously, Curtis Jacobs is off to the league, and, and rightfully so. Um, but the other thing is, and, and we'll talk about this a little later too in the third segment, but Penn State's having guys declare for the draft, but they're playing in the bowl game. So other than Chop Robinson right now, um, the only other one that's iffy is, is Ulu Fashenu, But I, And that's just based on the way that he said things. I don't know that he's going to play, um, but I think a lot of that also is gamesmanship. We're seeing a little bit of that here um, as well. But Chop Robinson, he doesn't want to risk anything. He was banged up at the end of last year. But he's still going to have some really good, really, really good defenders coming back uh, for his first year under the helm of the defense uh, for Tom Allen. But he made uh, Indiana a pretty, pretty solid defensive team, you know, and and when and that's not easy to do in the Big Ten. No, it's not. A guy that I'm really looking to see evolve under Tom Allen is Kobe King at middle linebacker. Penn State's not really had anybody at that position. Kobe King took a big step forward uh, along with Tyler Elston this year at middle linebacker but I think Tom Allen will be able to improve Penn State's run defense which I can't say was the greatest under Diaz and you know Tom Allen because he's played a lot of the big brother programs as the underdog he knows how to get a good efficiency out of his defense and make it tough for those those high-powered offenses I mean, anytime Michigan and Ohio State rolled into town, they weren't necessarily walking all over Indiana. Penn State wasn't walking all over Indiana, and they famously lost or probably shouldn't have lost thanks to some officiating uh, to start the 2020 season. But I, I I, think he's a guy that will be successful, and he was a guy that was at the top of both of our lists. So uh, That familiarity, I think, is, is key, right? He knows the Big Ten. He knows the territory. He knows the Midwest. He knows what it takes to recruit in that area. So, I mean, I think that there's incredible value in that, too. That familiarity with the conference is huge. He knows what they're going up against. Now, of course, 
you know, they're adding player or adding teams, I should say. Um, and I think that's kind of crazy. But other than that, you know, he's pretty familiar with every team that's in the Big Ten. That there's there's a very, very good situation there with him being able to know what's coming, know what they're doing. Um, that familiarity is, is going to pay off. But I'm very excited to see this. This is, you know, it's not the same type of hype around Andy Kotelnicki. Um, but I think it's it's a very, very safe and secure hire. And I like what James Franklin has done in, in going out and getting Tom Allen. Yeah, he it didn't need to be a splash hire. I think that familiarity is is probably the most important thing is Kotal Nicky is coming in without familiarity, but he's innovative and he's that next hot topic guy. He's the next Sean McVay offensive genius. And that's that's what the offense needed. What they needed on defense was somebody that's reliable and somebody that knows the territory and knows their opponents and knows how to recruit the Midwest because Nebraska's resurging. Ohio State, Michigan. There's a lot of teams in the Big Ten who are recruiting the Midwest strong, and Penn State's probably not scoring as many wins in the Midwest as they'd like to. And there's a lot of talent that, you know, go into Ohio, go Indiana, go into Indiana, go into Illinois. There's a lot of talent out there that they can probably get, and he's it's an area that he's recruited. So it's another one of those expand the horizons of the program hires, and um, you, you can't you can't be mad at that at all. No, exactly, and I think that's one of the things. You know, offense. I saw a meme on the internet today where offensive coordinator is all dressed up, right? Going to a meeting and a defensive coordinator is just in a polo and khakis. And I thought that was pretty, it was pretty good. Offensive coordinator, you know, or the, you want them to be a splash guy. There aren't very many splash defensive coordinators. So, I mean, right now the Penn state's got right everything there where they need it. Um, they have all of their assistant coaches still. Now there's, there might be some movement there. I'm not quite sure, but almost every job, um, it's taken. So, I mean, there's, you know, having that consistency on your staff, you've wrapped up recruiting. Everything seems to be trending in the right direction as far as the coaching staff goes uh, for the Nittany Lions. And more importantly, the staff's intact, the team's intact. Ben State didn't lose a lot of talent or pretty much any talent on the defensive side to the transfer portal. You are graduating guys, grads, guys who took big steps or guys who are just out of eligibility are going to the NFL draft, but that's what happens. But what shouldn't happen is if you're running a good program, as guys transfer out because of the staff continuity and because of the recruiting philosophy set by James Franklin, all of the defense is intact. Because a guy like Abdul Carter could easily leave. He could just be gone. But he's committed to James Franklin. He's committed to the program. And Tom Allen's going to inherit him. And we'll see how that looks next year. And I think that's one of the biggest testaments to the way James Franklin does things. They're committing to the school and to the program. And that is ultimately the biggest deal but we're going to talk about a lot more when we come back for the second and uh second segment of the lashing out podcast on the nitty sports now network welcome back to the second segment of the lashing out podcast on the sports now network i'm jared he is kevin kevin the early signing period came and went. Penn State inked 25 new Nittany Lions just a few days ago. It would have been two days ago on uh, Wednesday, December 20th. Quite a crazy day in Happy Valley. But it came with a lot of – with a lack of fanfare. There really weren't many surprises, and that's exactly how a signing day needs to be for a school like Penn State. Yeah, and unfortunately – 
National Early Signing Day has become the de facto National Signing Day. And um, I believe it was um, Brian Kelly out at UCLA was talking about the implications That's of Chip Kelly. Yeah, Brian Kelly. Jeez. Brian Chip Kelly's up. Brian Kelly's got that fake accent down at LSU. Yes, my mistake. Um, but yeah, it's it's the weird part of the schedule. Teams are in massive bowl prep, hiring coaches, firing coaches, all this other fanfare. And then, oh, by the way, you must solidify your future on the players' side of things at the same time. So uh, I'm not a fan of where it is in the schedule. I don't know where else it could go. But Penn State Inc. 25, it's the number 14th ranked class in the country. And, you know, a little bit of a downward recruiting year. Maybe, you know, you like them more to be in the 6 to 10 range. Ideally, they're the number one team in the land in recruiting, which isn't going to happen with uh, without a national championship. Uh, you're not going to get the number one team in the country, recruiting class in the country without that. So pretty happy. It seems like they got some needs and they addressed the wide receiver position, which is which is a plus. They only got one last year. And I think they got like three or four this year. I have to refresh my memory on that. Uh, yeah, they got four and potentially one coming out of Juco as well. So maybe some more in the transfer portal with Julian Fleming potentially. And um, he did get a, a truck from Blaze Alexander. That was on Instagram today. What a weird, what a weird recruiting spin that would be if Julian Fleming comes to Penn State. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's great to sign 25 guys, right? Get them committed. I don't disagree with the way the the signing day p- p- plays out. I think the early signing day is great. I don't necessarily agree with where it's at in the schedule. Like you said, I do think it's kind of cool. However, right, it's just in a bad time. Like it, it, If they stick with the 20th, it will be the week of the first round of the playoffs next year. So that that's not easy for coaches in universities to handle. On top of the portal, on top of re-recruiting your guys to stay, that is a problem. But looking at Penn State's class, 16 of them will enroll early. That number is huge because now they're a semester ahead of most of their counterparts. Get them on campus early, and you see the difference that makes. You see what happens when players are able to get there early, get in that college weight room, take those college courses, be around for spring ball, and then be ready to go in the fall. Yeah, and you look at look at a guy who was an early enrollee last year was Tony Rojas, and he put like 35 pounds on from the time that he came on the campus in January, and we saw him in April at the spring game. Think about what that's going to do to a guy like Luke Reynolds, 6'4", 220, he's going to take over. Probably the number three role, I would say, Khalil Dinkins. He's probably going to be battling Jerry Cross for that number three position at tight end. Is he 235 or is he 240, 245, almost 250 by the time the spring game rolls around? Mm-hmm. Quentin Martin, that's another guy. Running back, athlete. What does he look like? He's only 200 pounds, I say only, but. If they don't, I don't, they think, I think he's going to play running back, but he's a guy who could easily play like a really athletic outside linebacker or like that fifth nickel guy on defense in Tom Allen's scheme. So what side of the ball is he going to play on? How he performs in February and March when he gets into that weight room is probably going to determine where he ends up, what side of the ball he's going to end up on. So it's really crucial to get guys on campus early. And I don't know if those two are the early enrollees, but those are two possibilities that, that could happen if you get guys on campus early. 
Right. And, and there's typically nothing bad happens when they get on campus early. You see what they've got. They see what they've got. You know, it's pretty split. There were 12 offensive, 13 defensive. So, I mean, there's value there for sure. So it's now it's just kind of getting those guys on campus, get them acclimated. And, um, you know, when you look at it, and the guys that are, are going to be enrolling early, Liam Andrews, Antoine uh, Belgrave Shorter, Egan Boyer, Josiah Brown, DeAndre Cook, Cooper Cousins, T.A. Cunningham, Xavier Gillum, Ethan Grunkmeyer, Jalen Harvey, Kerry Jackson, Quentin Martin, John Mitchell, Luke Reynolds, Garrett Sexton, and Vebo Torrey. Those, getting those guys are, is, is, to come to campus early is going to be huge. Not Maybe not right away. But down the road, that's going to pay off some big time dividends. Yeah, it really is. And if you just kind of go back to what I said earlier, it's 14th ranked recruiting class in the country. But you have to recruit your state. You have to dominate your state. That's the mantra of the program. And Penn State brought in the one, two, five, seven, eight, ten, eleven, and thirteen ranked players in the country. Mm. I mean, in the state. Number three went to Wisconsin, who is the offensive lineman. I uh, forget his name. Rico Scott went down to Alabama. And the number six was a quarterback um, who ended up going to Cincinnati. But Penn State's loaded at quarterback. And it just ha- so happens that Pennsylvania wasn't as highly ranked of a recruiting class this year. So that's kind of why there's the dip in the ratings in the rankings. But to get that many players in the top 10, 12, 15 in your state to come to your program, that's, that's going to be your bread and butter. That's going to be the core of your roster. Those are guys who probably grow up rooting for Penn State mm-hmm. throughout their junior careers, throughout high school. And if you get all of those guys to come in, there's there's a lot more that comes to it with that. So, you know, props to the staff for that. And then they're pulling big-time recruits from other states as well. They got the number one recruit from Connecticut, which was Luke Reynolds. Number two, excuse me, from Ohio and Massachusetts, which was Luke Grunkemeyer. So to go into Ohio State's backyard, who just had their starting quarterback transfer out, you go in and steal the number one quarterback from the, from Ohio. That's massive. And then you got number one, three, and number one and number three player from Wisconsin. Wisconsin came to your backyard, takes your number three recruit, which is your offensive alignment. Well, they took the top two offensive alignment from Wisconsin back to Pennsylvania. And then Kind of a down recruiting year in, in Maryland. They only got the number five ranked player in Maryland. You know, typically that's a state where they can go in. They got, I think they also got number five in New Jersey. Georgia, for some reason, had a lot of gravitational pull from New Jersey this year. I think they had number one and four, and then Rutgers surprisingly got number two and number three in New Jersey. So they're recruiting their area well. They're going into other teams' backyards and recruiting their area as well as well. So. Yeah, I mean, the the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast region, 15 of the signees came from within 200 miles of State College, 12 different states. Listen, the big deal, you can talk about class rankings all you want, but ultimately it's can you develop them? Will they make an impact? You know, we talk about Texas A&M, right? Texas A&M is the reason why Manny Diaz is no longer a fun state. But Texas A&M has premier recruiting classes year after year after year. And has nothing to show for it. So, yes, highly ranked classes are phenomenal. They look great on recruiting websites, but it's can you develop them? No, no five stars at this point. But the biggest thing is now just go in, develop them, and they get to start with most of 16 of them starting when they come back from uh, winter break. 
But we're going to come back from a short break here for the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast in a few moments. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nate Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. He's Kevin. Kevin, the one thing that Penn State, I think, has done better than most schools over the course of the last few years deals with opting out of bowl games. Currently, as we mentioned earlier, the only person that's opted out is Chop Robinson. I don't know what the status is for Olu Fashanu, like we mentioned. His, he said he was getting he looking forward to spending time with his brothers. That, to me, if you read between the lines, I don't expect him to play. I think there's a little bit of gamesmanship. He is the best lineman that Penn State has. If you're planning to play against him, it makes it a little bit different than playing than him being on the sideline. So I think there's a little bit of gamesmanship there. But Curtis Jacobs is playing the bull game. Tyler Warren is coming back uh, for another season. Theo Johnson is playing in the bull game. When you Daquan Hardy is playing in the bull game. When you have guys of that caliber that are still declaring for the NFL draft, going to the draft, but yet still playing in the bowl game, and people can talk about the Peach Bowl all they want. The Peach Bowl was a New Year's Six bowl game. It is still a premier bowl game. And these guys are playing, and I think there's that is that speaks to what James Franklin's culture is at Penn State. Yeah, a premier bowl game at a premier venue. It's the brand new Mercedes Mercedes Benz Dome down in Atlanta, NFL Stadium, bright bright lights, down in SEC country, playing an SEC program. The implications of the Peach Bowl are massive. Go in and show show the country, show Greg McElroy to tell him to shove it up his butt that Penn State's not the number 10 team in the country. Have him go whip up on an SEC program. Say, hey, Greg, yeah, you beat Ole Miss a couple of times. Guess what? Penn State did a one, did a two, one and oh. And you talked about opt-outs. Olu, maybe he plays the first quarter, maybe he plays the first drive, kind of gets that ceremonious exit. But because because of the way the season went and because of James Franklin's philosophy and with Phil Trotwine being an absolute dog on the co- on the coaching sidelines, the, the team's ready for him to necess- – not, maybe not net ready for it, but the drop-off to Drew Shelton or maybe Javen Williams gets his first career start, you know, a former five-star recruit, true freshman. He's at the end of his true freshman season. Maybe he comes in, and what does that look like? How does the future look at left tackle for Penn State with that five-star guy ready to go? So it's a big stepping stone for the future. So, you know, maybe Olu plays a series. Maybe he plays the first quarter. We'll see how that goes. He's definitely not going to play the whole game. I can't see that at all. But it sounds like he's at least going to be involved with preparation, involved. He's going to be with the team. He's going to travel with them. And then a couple of the other guys who did recruit, did declare for the NFL draft, like you mentioned, Theo Johnson's going to play. Daquan Hardly, Hardy just committed to the NFL draft. He's going to play. You said Curtis Jacobs. There's there's only one opt-out, and that's Chop. And, you know, he had a head injury this year and probably battling a couple other things, being a super fast defensive edge rusher. So, you know, credit to James Franklin, credit to the culture of the program that, you know, you have a you have a bunch of guys bought in. Finish what you finish what you start. Yeah, and I think that's big. You know, that doesn't happen everywhere. You're seeing it as all in all of these bull games. And of course, the bull games that are going on right now are far less important. No disrespect. 
than the Peach Bowl or the New Year's Six or anything like that. So that's, that in and it of itself is great. So there are so many different moving pieces here. The team, I believe, is flying down at some point Christmas Day. They have an open practice on, uh, on Boxing Day uh, on the 26th. And then it's it's all in for prep. I am traveling down starting on Thursday. I'm driving down Thursday. We'll get there Thursday afternoon. We'll be there Friday, Saturday for the game, and then come back on Sunday. So it'll be an interesting trip, um, so to speak. But we will be live. Joe and I will be there in person covering the game for NSN. We will have a live podcast at some point down there. Looking forward to that. Kevin, are there any bowl games between now and then that you're looking forward to? No, uh, not really any bowl games I'm looking forward to currently. Not really been paying a lot of attention. Been working a lot as well. But did you see Kyle McCord on the sideline of Syracuse bowl game as they lost mm. um, the other night? To, was it USF? Yeah, they got smoked. Yeah. So that was uh, oh. that was pretty <laughs> interesting. And I think there was just an earthquake at Jared's house. But uh, <laughs> no, no earthquake. Just two dogs. <laughs> wrestling with each other so if you if you're watching this on youtube you can see me looking down i i have two australian shepherds that are about a, month, a year and a half old right they are balls of energy i sent kevin a picture in between oh, we have a boy and a girl their brother sister same litter and the the girl is posy i think we've talked about this before posy after buster posy and we have a boy tim lintzigan right or lintzigan named after tim lintzigan and they are currently just hanging out in in my kitchen where I record. Um, I, I just, believe it or not, I do not have a, a grand piano. You don't have a grand piano. <laughs> or anything actually that is behind me. I'm using a background. And they just decided to fight over a toy like they do all the time. And that was something I wasn't excited for or expecting. So they made their presence known. They, they must not be excited for these bull games either. No, and you want to know what's about to be a dogfight? Florida State leaving the ACC. Oh man, I'm so glad they, you brought this up. They just they just filed the lawsuit. Uh, the ACC has 20 days to respond to the lawsuit. I believe they'll probably get an extension out to 30 per ESPN. Uh, 30 days due to the holidays and all the poor timing that it is. But Florida State is filing to get out of their grant of rights agreement with the ACC. It look it's looking like a hundred and thirty million dollar exit fee. Um, Hundreds ironic, of millions of dollars are at, at stake here. Yeah, it's like 300 and some if you factor in their revenue. But if they're leaving to go to the Big Ten or the SEC or the Big 12, they're going to get a lot more money from TV. So it ends up being a net positive. I don't know. The the TV revenue side of it washes out. But um, the funny thing is, is per ESPN, the grants of rights agreement came from Florida State trying to leave to the big 12 back in 2012 mm -hmm. and uh they played themselves and there's uh Linscom, i believe yeah there is Linscom. he is making his uh, known but uh yeah so uh florida state is the reason for the acc grant of rights agreement and here they are suing to get out of it um there are other acc programs looking around the room and saying oh like, yes what is florida state what's the result of this going they to are, be they are excited about this because i think the ACC is down. When, when Clemson is not good, the ACC is not good at all. So, I mean, there is there are a lot of different things at stake here. Um, I don't I don't know where I don't know where Florida State fits in. I think the, the Big Ten 
or the Big 12 are probably the best bets. And they're the best bets because UCF doesn't care if South Florida, if Florida State comes in. UCF is miraculously in the Big 12. But the schools that do care would be Florida, Georgia, types Florida, schools like that that are already in the SEC already have that foothold there. So I wouldn't be shocked if they end up in the Big Ten. If I'm the Big Ten, I want a package deal. If that's Clemson, great. If that's another school, that would be great too. But I don't – just to make it even, but I have I have no idea what's going to happen next. And yeah, it's the other crazy. The other teams in the ACC are watching what happens with Florida State, oh but they're God. very happy that they're not having to be a part and pay the – pay the bill for probably a 30 to 45 million dollar lawsuit that Florida State is going to have on its hands with ACC. It doesn't sound like it's going to be resolved before next season. It sounds like this could be a two-year um, process as, you know, the, as fast as the U.S. Uh, legal system works. Um, it's probably a subject for a different podcast. Excuse me, but Clemson's definitely watching. Miami's probably watching just a little bit because they're mm-hmm. fighting to get relevant again. If they're in the Big Ten or the SEC, they're a hell of a lot more relevant than just being the southernmost ACC team who wins five games a year. Um, UNC's potentially looking to get out, but you know, because they're trying to become more of a more of a both football and basketball school, the Big Ten is definitely closer to being a football and basketball conference than the ACC is. So. There are a lot of teams in the ACC who are watching on the sidelines and are very happy that Florida State is playing this game. The irony uh, in this – sorry to cut you off, Kevin, but if, if Florida State plays in the Big Ten this year, they don't go undefeated. Definitely not. And they they lose this, yeah, so, many games. You know, it, it's kind of funny to see this all kind of play out. But, <clears throat> excuse me. Selfishly, I do hope Carolina would come to the Big Ten. As a Carolina basketball fan, that would be great. i get to see them at the Bryce Jordan Center. I would get to see them much closer than Pitt, um, who they play January 2nd. So I'm not quite sure if I'll be able to make that game, but that would be kind of cool. But, yeah, I mean, it, this is this is Pandora's box. It's kind of wild, though. You know, the portal is a crazy place. Now they got whole entire schools in the portal, which is kind of neat. But, but yeah, the, the other teams of the ACC are, are, are just sitting back letting this all play out, and they're in great shape because they're like, you know what, Florida State's going to wear this one. And we're just going to sit back here, chill out, and hope for the best. Because yeah, if, they, if they find that that grant of rights isn't legally binding or, or whatever, then that opens Pandora's box to multiple schools exiting the ACC, and you might have a Pac-12 type situation. Yeah, and if you're if you're the other teams, you get some of the money that Florida State has to pay the Atlantic Coast Conference. So if you're the other teams, you don't join this lawsuit. A, you don't have to pay for the lawsuit, but B, you also get their money, and then you get to leave the conference. Um, if you're the ACC or the Big 12, though, you are watching this lawsuit. I mean, if you're the Big 12, if you're the ACC, obviously you're watching it very closely. But if you're the Big 12, you're also got your uh, got your magnifying glass out and watching this one because if the ACC goes down, so too does the Big 12. And then you're down to the Big 10 and the SEC, and now you have two mega football conferences. I was thinking about this earlier. What does that schedule look like? Do you play six Big Ten games and six SEC games if you have if you go down to two football conferences? Um, I did like what Chip Kelly said for UCLA. Uh, going back to that, he was on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week. That's the one little bit of sports that I listened to. 
and the Dan Patrick show, of course, but looking at making these conferences football only like, right. You Arizona does not need to be playing softball we, or you, you we lose that softball. That yeah. You lose that softball rivalry between UCLA and Arizona. Like UCLA will win every game in the big 10 when it comes to softball. Because the Big Ten doesn't care about softball. There's no good teams in the Big Ten for softball. I think maybe Michigan and Ohio State have a – I think it's Michigan has a decent softball program. But it's not Arizona. It, it's not it, UCLA. It's it not Oklahoma. To, it has to be. It has to be football only. Listen, so, those other sports can't afford that travel. We talked about this on this podcast before when they realigned. The first time or second time or third time or whatever, those smaller sports can't afford that. And it doesn't make sense. Play regionally in the other sports. Keep the conferences in that. Go to the Super Conference of Football. All the money's there anyway. Don't touch the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament should not be touched. It should stay the same. 68 teams is plenty. But it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But I, I agree. And we said this on this podcast. You, It needs to be football only. If, the, if it's going to work the way that they need it to work, it should be football only, and that's that. And if it isn't, that's a shame because there are going to be schools that I don't think can afford to have teams. Yeah, then you get the Title IX implications of all of that. But um, I do think if Florida State does win this grant of rights agreement, the ACC collapses, the NCAA or somebody with bigger balls than the NCAA will have to step in and be like, look, football is going to be these two conferences and really like, Excuse me. The league offices are going to lose a bunch of money because the teams aren't going to leave their old. Excuse me. They're not going to leave their old conference, but the teams at the universities will still benefit because they'll get all of the money from the TV deal that is going to be the great Big Ten versus SEC college football season. So yeah, and Penn State's in great shape. Penn State football funds the rest of the sports for the most part, other than basketball. Hockey and wrestling. Yeah. So, Penn State's in good shape no matter what. Um, it'll be interesting to kind of see if the ACC disbands what they do um, and who goes where. Would Pitt be in Big Ten school? Then Penn State might have a rivalry. Crazy. Oh, I'd love to be Pat Narduzzi every year. I'd love it. I would just love I, I love the theatrics. That's what I want. I want the theatrics of playing Pat Narduzzi every year because he's going to say something dumb or saying something so incredibly right. It comes off as the most dickhead type statement ever. But that remains to be seen. That's far above our pay grade, but we will surely be able to talk about more of that. We will touch base with everybody else later this week when we come back. Have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy Boxing Day to our Canadian friends. And we'll talk to you later this week. For Kevin Quigley, this has been Jared Prugar on the Lashing Out Podcast on the Disney's